0: you hug a veteran today, or perhaps on Veterans Day? Well, you're going to hear why we all need to. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Well, what's all this with Hug a Veteran? <laughs> well, how did you feel when, you thought, when that uh, idea came across? Um, the reason why I'm saying that is because something happened this past week. I mean, first of all, we really just had Veterans Day, and uh, it was important to, if not hug a veteran, to at least thank a veteran. And I fortunately had that opportunity by being a part of of a veterans event at the West Los Angeles VA, uh, which was put on by this organization, Parrot Care, where um, they heal parrots who have been abused or neglected, and these parrots heal the veterans. And so every year on Veterans Day, they put on an event. And I was uh, part of it. And uh, as I was talking to the veterans and helping serve the veterans and so on, um, I, I just was amazed. You know, I really like, looked into their eyes and really tried to get where each person was coming from and um, just you know, thought about how much loyalty they had, how much patriotism they had to have volunteered to be veterans in the first place or volunteered to sign up for the military. And that kind of um, is in stark contrast to what came out, actually, right after Veterans Day uh, by USA Today. There was a story about these plans that the Army had in order to fill their ranks because there is a big shortfall in veterans in people signing up (laughs) to ultimately be theirs, and people signing up to join the military, and um, particularly in the Army. And uh, they made a rule change that was um, very quietly done this past August and only came to light this past week. So what's the rule change? And why am I really upset about this? And you should be too. Fortunately, I'll give you sort of a spoiler alert. Fortunately, because of the brouhaha that came about after this story appeared in USA Today, the army is now (laughs) backpedaling very quickly and really sounding ridiculous but um they are claiming that they are not going to do this after all but let me tell you even the idea that someone <laughs> i don't know who but it had to be someone up there although they're blame actually that's one of the things they're saying when they're backpedaling they're saying that this was concocted <laughs> they're not saying concocted this was uh, put into action or actually they're not even saying that they're trying to say that it wasn't even put into action, but it, it was. Um, they're saying that this was decided upon or, you know, uh, by someone at a lower level. And, you know, everyone's passing the buck basically and, um, and trying to say that it wasn't the top brass who did this, but surely it had to be approved Um, by someone higher up so let me tell you what it is what the army decided uh, to to solve the problem of this shortfall which entails 80,000 troops in other words they need to find they need to enlist 80,000 people into the army before next september and that has um, made them very worried and with good reason because last year they barely met their quota and it's even questionable whether they met their quota of 69,000 new recruits. Now. What they did last year was, in order to um, try to get more people included, they lowered their standards for how people had to do on the aptitude tests to get in. And they also uh, added a lot of bonuses to entice people. Bonuses, you know, um, you could kind of even... I mean, it's unfortunate that these days it's not enough for people to want to do something for their country and it's not enough um, not enough people have enough patriotism to want to just do this on their own without the bonuses. But in any case, that's how they made it for last year by lowering the standards on the aptitude tests and giving these bonuses. But that was 69,000. The quota for this year is 80,000. So you can understand how that got them worried. Now, of course, um, my, uh, my explanation for why there are fewer people volunteering, fewer people signing up, is because of the disrespect for the flag and the national anthem that has been increasingly shown over the last couple of years, notably by the football players who take a knee and refuse to salute or refuse to sing the national anthem. And who are the people signing up to join the army? They are most, most of them. I don't have statistics. I don't know if there's been a study that actually looked at this. But common sense Clearly, most of these people would, uh, would, <laughs> would watch football and would see these players would have seen before the whole thing of taking a knee and so on. Um, these players, football players in general, the, the star athletes are their heroes. They are role models. And they are, these are likely role models for the people who are um, planning, who would have planned to sign up now you know like colin kaepernick and all that um these people you know now now that they're taking a stand and and so on and or or taking a knee really um and you know claiming that they have all these reasons good reasons to do it um i think it's totally out of place And I think, I mean, certainly I believe in the First Amendment and people should certainly be able to speak out for what they believe in, but um, they are not apparently caring about what an impact their making patriotism uncool is having on this country. And I think a big impact is one of the impacts and a really important impact is on making people who would have signed up for the military not do it. Because, again, it's, oh, well, if these people are saying, you know, are, are not saluting the flag. And, again, think about it. What happens when a, a soldier dies in battle? He comes home, and what's draped over his coffin? The flag. So how disrespectful is it of all these football players, not only disrespecting the flag and the national anthem themselves, but in disrespecting these soldiers who died for our country. I mean, if it weren't for them, these football players wouldn't be making millions playing football. (laughs) This country wouldn't exist, or certainly not in the shape that it's in now. So, it's just, it it has to stop. And, um, and Now it has filtered down to there being fewer recruits for the army. So what was this outrageous thing that the army was going to do? They were going for this year to get the 80,000 to change their rules about letting people in with mental illness. So in other words, there has been a ban on waivers, a ban on allowing, if there was, if someone wanted to join the military, and he had uh, some kind of mental illness in his background. He could ask for a waiver, in other words, ask to be allowed uh, to to enter the army, um, ask for the rules to be waived and for him to be able to be permitted, like a special exception kind of thing and there were um, but but so so what had happened in two thousand and nine? is that there was a ban put on waivers in other words people couldn't ask for waivers couldn't ask to come in uh, if they have some kind of mental illness and the reason why this was enacted in 2009 you know why people weren't allowed in with mental illness um, was because of all the suicides that uh, were happening in the military so not that there were really a lot of people with mental illness presumably wanting to come in earlier than that. Um, but but they, you know, they made a special point. I mean, there's always been this rule um, of certain kinds of mental problems not being allowed in. But in, in 2009, they, they you know, made that even more uh, ironclad. Well now they took away the ban on waivers and they are letting in or they, they wanted to let in people with um, people who had self-mutilation. I'll describe I'll explain what these things are. Self-mutilation, bipolar illness, which is also called manic depressive illness, major depression, and drug and alcohol abuse. Now why <laughs> why is that not a good thing um well first of all kind of right off uh we have in society um we have this these rules where people who have a history of mental illness are not allowed to carry to buy a gun i mean we know that this isn't you know obviously not being very well um enforced um, you know, we just had the example recently of the man who was a veteran who um, was actually kicked out of the Air Force dishonorably, um, who managed to get guns, but because the service didn't uh, convey this information to, drug, to, to gun stores. So anyway, it's, not, it's an imperfect sy- system at best. Oh, and he had been in a mental hospital against his will while he was in the service. So it's an imperfect system, but there there are these rules that people who have been uh, held in a mental hospital involuntarily cannot, should not be able to buy a gun. So with that said, uh, the army was going to now hand these people guns who otherwise wouldn't have been able to buy one in regular society. Now, why should someone with self-mutilation not be allowed in the army? And I know what you're thinking. I'm a psychiatrist. Do I, It sounds like I'm stigmatizing people with mental illness or stereotyping them. Not at all. What I, but I don't believe they belong in the army um, because that makes them a danger to themselves and a danger to others in the army and, uh, and others when they get out of the army. Um, why, why should this, why would somebody, let's take each of these mental illnesses or mental problems and um, explain why this would be bad. Okay, self-mutilation. What that means is someone who cuts himself um, or uh, does, hits himself or, or creates bodily harm. Um, it, it comes out of a sense of self-loathing. And uh, it is the first step In uh, the path to suicide, in people who later commit suicide, it is a warning signal. If you know somebody who, you know, and this is a thing now with teenagers, there are more teenagers than ever who are cutting. Um, And so that's a big warning sign. If you know someone who does that, you really need to make sure that they get uh, treatment, psychiatric treatment, because that is, they are on the path uh, to, to committing suicide. So what if, So what's wrong with that in the army? <laughs> Why would that be bad? Uh, well, if someone is feeling suicidal and they are at the front or wherever they are in the army um, and they actually make an attempt, uh, that could you know, put other people in danger, especially if they're at the front line. They'll have to be airlifted out if they made a suicide attempt. Um, and, you know, that puts the people who airlift them and, and the people who are there whose, whose location is found and so on in danger. What about bipolar illness? Well, bipolar illness or manic depressive illness is a psychosis. It's a genetic disorder. In other words, you inherit it from someone in your family, parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles, cousins. It's, it's passed down through families. Now, it doesn't always mean that, that a person will develop bipolar illness uh, if they have the genetic predisposition but if they are put under stress that's when it comes out now if someone already is known to have bipolar illness uh, and they are admitted into the army um, or the same thing with depression major depression that's also a psychotic disorder then if they stop taking their medications um, they will, you know, with with mania, they will, well, either way, they will become or could become psychotic. And you do not want someone standing next to you when you are trying to fight the enemy who is psychotic. I mean, really, these things are kind of self-evident or should have been to the army. Um, what about drug and alcohol abuse? Well, that we know that there's a problem in the military of people um, starting to abuse drugs and alcohol. So, if someone already has a drug or alcohol abuse problem, you do not want to then put them in the army, where there will be more likelihood that they will break their sobriety and go back to using. I mean, you know, when I'm as I'm saying these things, it's just it's just unbelievable that these things weren't self-evident. Maybe not all the details about their, you know, what I'm telling you, but just the the fact that that these are dangerous, vulnerable people to then subject to a war situation, again, in terms of how this will affect them and how this will affect the people they are um, serving next to. So, and especially if you think about uh, the the mantra, no soldier left behind, and you're kind of counting on people who have these problems, it's not a matter of stigmatizing or or stereotyping or putting down these people. It's just saying that in these situations, you know, people, all of these things, and I want to make sure I say this, all of these things are treatable. Um, you know, you can get treatment for all of it, and you can go on to live a productive, happy life. So it's not about that. It's just that when you're then subjected to unbelievably stressful situations of war, that doesn't give you a fighting chance, so to speak, to do do that, to be um, functional. So now what's happening? Now they are claiming that... um, Uh, again, that it was somebody at a lower level who who put this into motion. Of course, they're not saying whether, how many people, they've been asked, how many people got through while the waivers, um, while people were being able to get through and get recruited with these mental problems. Um, In other words, from August until now, till November, so like, you know, almost three months um how many people were recruited who had these problems the army is not saying so um obviously this was and and uh is well obviously you know in a way uh, the crisis was averted to an extent We, you know, we don't know how many people were recruited with these problems. We don't know what the army is going to do with them now that there has been a big backlash about it, Um, but, uh, but at least it's been, for the most part, averted at this time. However, what hasn't been averted, the problem that hasn't been averted, is the fact that we have a shortfall. Um, And if there's a shortfall in the army, there is likely a shortfall in the other armed services as well, at a time when America is under attack from terrorists, of course, and from, you know, we're, we're potentially under attack, or we're certainly being threatened by North Korea, and we're certainly being threatened, perhaps to a lesser extent, but still, by Russia. Um, we need a pumped up armed services, the Army and all the other services. So the fact that there is this ongoing problem to recruit affects us all. And I think that um, there are things that we can do and that need to be done about it. Um, We need to stop thinking about just me. You know, each of us needs to stop thinking about uh, ourselves in life and more about helping other people. And that would notably include the people who are eligible to be recruited. Um, And, you know, of course, another reason why people aren't signing up is because, besides the me, you know, factor, is because there are these threats And people are more afraid of being in World War III. You know, that it's not so much signing up in peacetime. And to get trained, for example, for a career, I mean, that is one of the perks that you get, is that you get trained um, to do something that you can then use when you get out as a trade. Um, But I think that the, again, that the major... uh, the major detriment is because it has suddenly become uncool to be patriotic, and we need to change that. Now let's go to the letter portion of um, the Terrorist Therapist Show where, um, again, I will encourage you, and at the end I will give you tell you how to write in. Please send me uh, emails and contact me so that um, you, I will answer your questions on the air Uh, we have a a letter or email from Charles um, from uh, from Minneapolis Minnesota and he says hey terrorist therapist I'm a Vietnam veteran who spent five years in the service I was drafted but I planned on enlisting anyway now I have two sons They're more interested in their iPhones and TV and video games than joining the service. I always figured they'd follow in my footsteps and join some branch of the military, and it's a real disappointment that they're not. Where did I go wrong? Well, Charles, I don't know if you went wrong or if you did anything wrong. I'm not sure you should be blaming yourself, but... Um, Here are some thoughts that maybe in some way you affected their decision to not join. Um, Perhaps if you have some physical injury from the service, you didn't mention that, but perhaps if you were physically injured, they saw that close up and personal and they didn't want to risk that. Or perhaps you have developed some psychological problems from being in the service, like PTSD or depression. And again, close up, they thought to themselves, hmm, I don't want that to happen to me. But now, even if, you know, I hope that that's not true, that you didn't come out with any physical or psychological problems. Um, but, and assuming that that's not true, or, or either way, really, did you speak enough about your service in positive terms, like how glad you were that you did it, how much, how, what it means to you. You know, a lot of veterans are because, even though they're proud that they're that they served, a lot of veterans, of course, have even if they didn't develop PTSD or have any kind of injury, um, they they of you know, war isn't pretty, and so they are um, hesitant to talk about some of the their experiences and some of the ugly parts of war. Um, and so, you know, so and talking about and talking about, I mean so so hopefully, you know, if you did talk about the ugly parts, that may have influenced them as well. But I mean sometimes veterans don't talk about anything uh, in regard to their service because they don't want to remember the ugly parts. So You know, the important thing um, for you and for everybody who's listening to this, if you're a veteran, it is really important to talk to your family, to talk to friends, to talk to acquaintances, to talk to people about the positive things, like how proud you are of having been so patriotic, of having risked your life for the freedom of America, for all of us. And I think veterans need to really start doing that more. I mean, I know some of them certainly do, and some of them do help in recruiting. I think we need a little bit more, a little more veterans to help in the recruiting, or even just you know not uh, not formally, um, but even just in their everyday life to talk about how important that was, how that shaped their character, and how I mean obviously they had to have a lot of character to sign up in the first place, but how you know. How, how it made them even stronger and to talk about these things so that more people remember how important it is to be patriotic and how it is cool to be a veteran um, that's, that's kind of the message that that um, if you are a veteran, if you know a veteran um, we need to start thinking about this, this Epidemic that the uh, football players, and it's not just football players. You know, it's kind of I, I was, yeah, I was at a at something the other uh, when I went to Washington D.C. to um, uh, for the launch of my book. The you know I had done it in New York, and then I launched in Washington D.C. at the Press Club, and I went to an event which it was nothing to do with the military, um, and there were people at this event. Who refused in Washington D.C. Who refused to stand up to uh, to sing the national anthem? Um, I mean, it, it, it just it's just mind blowing. So it's it's gone beyond the NFL. They are sort of the role models, but it's like just everyday people and people who should know better and people who who you know you would think um, in their because of their job or or. I mean, I I was mind blown <laughs> that in at this event, um, which had to do with which was mainly an audience of politicians and and um, uh, press. That um, there, and there were other people too. It wasn't just all you know. I don't know. I don't, I, I didn't ask the people who were sitting what their you know who they were affiliated with. So I can't say that they. Were press or politicians but it just it it just shouldn't have happened and we have to stop this epidemic or else more people are going to be coming up with crazy ideas like drafting people or recruiting people into the army who shouldn't be there so before thank you for listening and i hope you will think about this and spread these messages and uh, let me give you all of my you know the, my links and so on that you can find out more information. Uh, my website is www.terroristtherapist.com. www.therapist. Uh, let's do that again. www.therapist. God, we have to stop. Oh my up, God. Okay. <laughs> That's I tried, you know, I tried to, uh, to, what's the word? I tried to, uh, to fix that, but <laughs> <laughs> I was getting You're more. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me start with the, at the beginning. I'm so sorry. I hate to, oh, over- it's fine. If you edit it, but I'll start with where I say about, let me give you, um, uh, my, my licks. Okay. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Okay. I'll count you back down three two one go so for more information i will give you links now for how you can get in contact with me and find out um, see my other vlogs and, and podcasts and so on and updates news of things that i've been doing uh, like i was just on one america yesterday for example um, you can find all this out by going to my terrorist therapist website which is www.terroristtherapist.com. Terroristtherapist.com. And um, also to get my book, Lions and Tigers and, and Terrorists, oh my, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. That book is sold wherever books are sold. But um, you can also go; it's easy to find to find out more information about it as well as easily buy it. You can go to the website of my publisher, which is www.terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four kids.com. So thank you for listening to the terrorist therapist show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.